Hey everyone, it's Joe. Welcome to another episode of the Future Business Analyst podcast. My guest today is Riata Delaporte, a business analyst with Momentum Metropolitan. She's caffeine addicted, a CBAP, and also involved with mentoring, blogging on the BA Lab, and volunteers with the IIBA South Africa chapter. Thank you for joining me today, uh, Riata. Thank you very much, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. It's nice to have you here. So the place I always start is at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in business analysis, what it was that gave you your, your kickstart? Okay, so I didn't, um, I think I'm one of many uh, BAs that didn't really dream of becoming a BA as such. So I was, uh, when I grew up, I was always dreaming of becoming a doctor. And then life happened. And then I didn't know what to do with my life. And I was bouncing around and uh, I dabbled a little bit uh, in programming, uh, did a little database. Um, then there was a, a need that came up for a solution and I stepped up and I said, guys, here's a solution. And then I had a great manager that saw potential in me and he appointed me as a project manager, I think at the age okay. of 19, almost 20 at that time. Um, and there was a lot of growth that happened in that role, but it was still not home. You know, it was it was nice, but it wasn't where I wanted to be. And then after a couple of years, I actually moved around a bit. Um, I was in the logistics industry, by the way. Not, I'm currently in finance. Okay. Or in, insurance, rather. Um, and there we, I ended up in my first uh, business analyst role. So I love how they always put these little tags in front of business analysts. Like I was a CLC business analyst and you get, you know, like, what is that? So basically it meant I did the warehouse management systems for the logistics company. And this is where I really started as a business analyst. And then I progressed into uh more specialized role for uh, business process management. Okay. And, and yeah, I think I also like just outgrew that position and looked for some new opportunities. And that's when I approached uh, Momentum. And then again, people believing in me, I think that's a big important part of my life. People that give me the opportunities. I didn't have any experience in the insurance industry. They took a chance on me and uh, gave me the position as a business systems analyst and i spent yeah a couple of years uh as a business systems analyst and then last year changed again um okay. and now i'm a proper business analyst whatever that may mean <laughs> so yeah but yeah, i never planned on becoming a business analyst but I think I found my passion and I found my home. I think that's the important part. I feel where I'm comfortable and I'm in this stage of my career where I feel like I can give back to the younger generation, feeling like I'm giving away my age. <laughs> I feel a lot than I think I am, but yeah, I'm in a position where I can give back to the community. Yeah, and that's fantastic. As you say, I didn't dream of being a BA, but but now you're living the dream of being a BA, right? So the other day we were at the IBA's Professional Development Day, and I think it was Sepo that uh, actually likened the the 
BA practice to a doctor's practice. Yeah. Like very similar. It's also a practice. We're also professionals. Uh, just because we're not doctors doesn't mean we're not professionals. No, indeed. Um, and, and that analogy comes up often, doesn't it? You know, about sort of um, the general practitioner perhaps versus specialists and, and, and things like that. Um, I mean, you, you've got quite a breadth of experience there. If you've done the programming work, you've done the database work, you've done sort of the systems analysis side and now perhaps more on the pure business analysis mm -hmm. side. Um, and you haven't given away your age, but I am hearing that you've got a, a wealth of experience um, in the profession. What kind of changes have you seen over the years, perhaps, in, in the shift of focus of a BA? So I think when I started out, Agile didn't really exist, um, or if it did, I, did, I wasn't exposed to it. I didn't get any formal business analysis education until 2016 when I did my first course with uh, FTI. Um, and there was definitely, the Agile way of work has definitely become a big way or an important part of the way we work and how we address what we do. I still think um, I'm one of those BAs, I believe Waterfall has a place mm. and it will always have a place in the way we work. Uh, Agile is just a different way that we can address the work. Um, uh, definitely technology, it's a big drive right now with AI, chat GPT that is taking over. And I think since COVID, um, we had a massive evolution in the way we do things, the remote work and all of that, we have become so much more technology driven than we used to, or at least my experience of yeah. that. Um, yes, it definitely is playing a much bigger role in how we do things. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, I mean, we, we, we've always worked in a technology space because there's always mm -hmm. a part of what we do always sort of lands up being some form of information technology <laughs> solution. But I do, I do feel like our embracing of the tools that are now available into our own work has improved immensely. As you say, um, this evolution through, through COVID has just accelerated people sort of embracing this stuff. Mm, no, definitely. I think... Um and I think it's going to carry on like that. I don't think we're going to see it slowing down anytime soon. I think at least for the foreseeable future, we're going to see this acceleration and we as BAs will need to adapt to that uh, and keep up with that rapid rate of change. Otherwise, we're going to stay behind. We'll have to upscale ourselves and stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, we got to get better faster we've got to stay in pace with this sort of change as you say we've got to be able to adapt and respond um i mean one of the questions that's coming up a lot is you know people saying what's the threat to the business analyst through things like ai what, what's your take on that i don't think it's a threat at all i think uh Looking back at the history of business analysis, I mean, it wasn't called business analysis back then, but from, I think, Socrates, that age, like that time, they already did some form of problem solving and business analysis. And we have over time just given a name, we have defined some processes and created a framework and all of that. 
And I think with AI and all of that, it's just gonna, we're just gonna evolve with it. The, the, the profession is gonna evolve with AI. We're gonna make, uh, it's gonna make our lives easier. We're going to maybe be better at decision-making and all of that. It's going to just make what we do easier, faster, better but it's not going to be a threat for for the profession itself no no and um you know at the same time it's changing our profession you know the way we do things perhaps it's also changing everybody else's profession you know the people we work alongside it the organizations that we work within so we're all in this together right and we will evolve and adapt it's uh, the whole world is changing every second and we will just adapt with it and grow with it and as something dies off something new will be born there will always be something new for us to do as it evolves and yeah. that's yeah. a good thing about it yeah the good it thing about change we just have to embrace it <laughs> we have to embrace it. i mean we're in we're in the profession of change uh, and the one thing that we can guarantee is change and that change is coming more rapidly than ever before. I think we're going to have our hands very full and um, we might not see exactly what these, these new ways of working, these new opportunities are yet, but I think we can rest assured that, that they are going to be there for us and we're not going to be displaced by it. No, no, I don't believe we will be. I think right now we are in such a special time as well. I think we... The world is our oyster at this moment. We have so much that we can right now, we we are in the position where we can basically lead into the future where we want to be. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. It does. Um, I, I, I'm caught on that thing you said. I, I thought it was um, a wonderful stem, um, sentiment that we're actually in a very special time think you're absolutely yeah. right um what what a wonderful time to be be alive and be a ba it is it is i think we uh, like in the beginning of change and you know there's so much possibility and we are right in the middle of that right now and we can steer the future i think that is what yeah. the word that i was looking for is we can steer into the future where we want to go where we see business analysis going yeah yeah definitely something there for us to shape um but as much as it's, it's not going to like displace us I, I do imagine that we're going to have a few challenges along the way into the next few years what sort of challenges um do you perhaps see i do believe that change management people will be scared of the change i think we already see a little bit of pushback when it comes to uh solutions that is ai driven machine learning and all of that people are not familiar they don't trust the technology yet and all of that so there will be pushback as with any change you will see people fighting it and then they will come the acceptance and then it will start blooming again and we will carry forward yeah. then i think the opportunities will become like endless yeah um I mean, back in the 1990s when when it was quite fashionable to do sort of business process um, re-engineering it, it got a bad reputation in the end because of the number of people who were left off uh, 
who were um, retrenched, uh, laid off mm-hmm. due to that kind of optimization that was happening. And so there is a bit of a bad stigma, perhaps still attached to IT projects and change, that there is a threat to people and jobs. And, and now with this technology that, that's almost more blatantly threatening some jobs, it's going to be a real fear for people. So I think you're absolutely right. We're going to have to help manage that it's change. Yeah, it scares people. And unfortunately, when you get scared, you're going to push back, you're going to fight it. Um, but I think, again, there, there is the opportunity for each and every person to grow and to make sure that they change with the changes. You know, if, you, if you're just going to be stagnant, you can't be mad if you get left behind, if you, if you don't step up and be part of the change. Yeah. Um, and change management is, is another string to our bow. I mean, as BAs, we have many strings to our bow it's a very broad set of um skills it's back to that that doctor that gp that general practitioner but on at the same time there's a lot of specialized roles coming out they've certainly emerged over the last few years whether it's agile or digital or product or you know data or whatever those things are um do you think we're at a bit of a crossroads in terms of being this sort of full stack BA versus this sort of specialized in-demand skill kind of BA? So I think I actually spoke about that over the weekend with one of my um, colleagues as well. And we spoke about having your full stack BA versus your specialized. And I think there's a place for both you're going to need a BA that's more generalized, that can go anywhere and go quickly. And then you have the need for someone that's more specialized, that knows, have a deeper knowledge of a specific subject that you can then call on to do specific tasks. So I think there's a place for both in this world. It's the choice of the BA if he wants to be a generalist or a specialist BA. Yeah. Uh, People have a career choice, isn't it? Um, I I think that's what it is, and they need to think carefully, like you do with your career, about which one of these two paths you're going to take and and then choose the one that's going to be best for you into your future. Yeah, definitely. And I think the employees will choose. I think there's a need for both. I think... uh, if you have a specific problem, you're going to use a specific tool. I mean, you're not going to use a screwdriver instead of a hammer. So if you need a screwdriver, you will use a screwdriver to do the job. You're not just going to hammer it away because that's not going to give you the effect that you want. So, And I think it's going to be the same for a business analyst. If you have a specialist and you have a need for a specialist, you're going to appoint a specialist. Um, but there's also the need for a BA that you can move from one position, especially if you have a project that demands a little bit of skill, not in-depth skill, but a little bit of every skill. Mm. That that is where your uh, generalist BA will bloom and will add the most value. 
Yeah. And I think the other thing is that, you know, that there are careers and careers are broken down into jobs, into experiences, into projects. You know, there, there's components that build up into a career. And so mm-hmm. you could spend a bit of time going deep in one of these just for a little while, not be- to become that 10,000 hour expert, but at least to get, you know, maybe a couple of thousand hours in it and then bring that back to the generalist profession and sort of stabilize yourself. Salvaging, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I'm reminded of something that Christelle Governor mentioned on one of the earlier episodes on the pod, where we, we also sort of the, the idea of the GP and the specialist came up. And one of the differences, of course, in the sort of medical profession is that that GP sends a letter to that specialist. You know, it sort of gives you that access. And it would be nice if, you know, in... in getting these specialist skills to support whatever change is needed. If that came sort of via the BA, I think that would be a a wonderful place to be. It would put us in a point position as far as business stakeholders are concerned. Definitely agree. We will be consulting them just as your GP is consulting your specialist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, all all this talk of technology, um, but there's also a human involved. Yes, and that is my passion. They don't call me the marshmallow in our team for no reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we're going to need a human-centric approach still. I mean, you've talked about the fear that people have, that anxiety. There's a lot of technology. It's a time for human empathy, is it? It is. It's definitely. I think the more automated the world becomes, Uh, the more we need to be aware of the fact that there's a human behind that computer. Um, I I usually think about how easy it is for, you know, those keyboard warriors on the keyboards on Facebook, just, you know, throwing out the remarks there and they don't really care who they hurt or not. And I think because we don't see the people on the other side, we tend to lose that, sense of humanity and i think that is very important because at the end of the day your stakeholder is not just a stakeholder it's a human it's a human with feelings it's a human with fears it's and there's always you know i love people i love interacting with people and getting to know them and i think it's such an important part of our job as bas i think technology is it's important but the relationships we build with our stakeholders is what will differentiate a good BA with an excellent BA. That is the differentiation, your ability to build those trust relationships with your stakeholders. Yeah, and our soft skills are going to be in, in complete demand going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're saying there, you know, it's important, but I feel like it's not just important for projects and organisations, it's important for life, right? It sort of extends beyond all of that. Um, and I would imagine in future there are going to be some choices, choices that are like we could automate this in some way, some machine could do this, or a human could do this. And perhaps in the past, the decision has always been around cost or something like that, you know, into the long run. But we might have to start questioning some decisions and saying, well, you know, that might be a better cost decision, but it's not a better social decision. 
Definitely. I think people are going to get to a point where they want to interact with a human and not with an AI bot. Uh, it's only so much, I mean, it's a machine. It cannot offer real empathy. And we as humans, we can feel if someone is fake. So if you speak to an AI bot, it's not going to give you that empathy that you sometimes need as a human. So I definitely think that where the answer was always let's automate, we're going to get to a point where we say, is automation the right solution for this problem? Or do we want to put a real human up for the solution? Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I just think we're going to be facing that question far more than we've probably have done in the past. I don't think we've even really considered it in the past, have we? But it, it's sort of coming more to the fore now. Um, I must say, like, I even, like, the frustration, I've felt it quite recently where I wanted to uh, get into contact with a supplier and you can't reach them. You can only send them messages and but you cannot make a phone call. So you have to either chat with a chatbot or send an email. And the frustration that comes with that automated systems, uh, it frustrated me up to the point where I said, I'm no longer dealing with a supplier because I need to speak to a human. And I think mm. we're going to get to that point a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely there. Um, and I mean, let's lift the lid on this a little bit more as well. I mean, the scenario that we perhaps just talked about was sort of inside of a project in an organization about making some kind of strategic decision around um, technology and, and, and sort of human. But if we lift the lid and so on the organization, we think about the wider world. Um, do, you, do you see any kind of trend around organizations needing to do more about social responsibility, about sustainability, that kind of uh, thinking? Definitely. Um, I think most companies are not there yet. And I think it's something that when we do consider our solutions, uh, we need to be more aware. Um, and I think that is also a trend that will pick up. I think we're at the start of it. But I think it's something that we as business analysts also need to consider a whole lot more when we, it's like another tick box that we need to check um, when we consider the solutions to make sure that we are socially responsible. Yeah, um, I, I can definitely see that kind of requirement being more sort of inbuilt into our just everyday thinking. Definitely. I definitely think, like I said, I think we're not there yet. I think we're like right at the beginning. But looking at where the world is going, I think this is something that we as BAs really need to sharpen our skills on as well and uh, just upskill a little bit, make sure that we're on par so that we are there when that requirement really becomes part of our job. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, uh, more thought around ethics, perhaps. I don't know if ethics is quite the right word, but just ethical projects, ethical products. Yes, yeah. There's a. I think there's a. There's a. It's a whole can of worms that you kind of need to unpack and see. I, I guess it, it also depends on the industry that you're in, uh, what exactly that would entail. But um, yeah, definitely 
are, I think that is a subject uh, on its own entirely. And um, um, customer centricity is yeah. is something that you know has had a lot of focus. And as we talk about this, you, you know, you say as BAs, and um, I'm also hearing as BAs. BAs are obviously employees, right? They work for organisations. And with things like COVID and remote work, one of the things I feel is that people are considering more often what they want from life, who they want to work for, in what way they want to work, you know, the kind of things that they do. And they want to work for ethical employers, right? So as much as we talk about customer centricity which which we absolutely must i feel like there's there's perhaps a shift in the employee experience as well inside of organizations do you see sort of shifts happening there definitely i think uh, we consider the companies that we work for and how it used to be a one-sided type of interview, it has definitely become a two-way conversation rather than the one-sided conversation. So definitely a shift in the way it used to be. Yeah, we used to be grateful to get a job and, and now we're um, sort of questioning whether we want that job. Job, yeah, and if it's the right fit for us, I think it's a very good thing because it means we are putting more or placing more value in ourselves. Mm. Um, and I think it does put the employees a little bit on the back foot, but also then it forces them to also adjust and make sure that they create an environment where people want to work. So I think it is a more balanced approach than it was previously. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know, if an organization is aligned with our values around things like social responsibility and sustainability, then that becomes the kind of employer that we want to work for. It draws more people like us. And then we build that momentum inside with that sort of sustainability mindset, that social mindset. And it just perpetuates, really. It does. It does, definitely. Yeah. Um, one of the things I know that you do is um, community of practice, centre of excellence right um wonderful things i think it's great that you're doing that won't you tell me a little bit about how it sort of works how it runs the kind of things that, that you discuss in there so we are still quite in the beginning uh of setting up the community of practice um so when i joined shared services so I come from a product house specific uh, to Momentum. So the setup there is quite different than working in shared services. And I don't know if you've ever been to Momentum's offices, but it's quite big. And uh, you walk around uh, people passing you and you would never know that they're a business analyst if you don't see them in a meeting and you hover over the little, you know, that little dot and it says, oh, this is a business analyst. And then you kind of remember the name, but you never see the face. And for me, it was really difficult uh, to just find my spot in my little home in my new position. 
so this is where it actually started. Uh, I spoke to a few other BAs that I by accident met in um, different meetings that we had. And I said, do you feel the same way? And that's like, no, absolutely. I don't know who the next BA is. I don't know if I walk past you that you're a BA. And uh, then I said, okay, well, this needs to change. And um, then uh, I got uh, Amy van Rooyen, who also spoke at the PDD day. Uh, she's one of my colleagues. And I said to her, okay, no, hold on, we need to do something about this. And so it started very organically. We had a meetup where we got all the um, other BAs who are interested, uh, got them together, and we just had a nice little chat, um, getting to know each other, the names, the faces. And uh, we then have another BA day coming up that we are arranging for the end of August where we will be networking the IFBA will be there as well to uh, represent them um, and yeah I think it's the start it has to grow organically it's not something you can force you can't force people um, so we're hoping to see a bigger turnout uh, every time we do meet up um, we really focus on leveraging from other BAs in the community to build up and to build a strong community. Uh, so that's our focus. So we're getting there. Um, it's a it's a very uh, interesting learning school at the moment, but I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to grow together. Yes, yeah, and I think we have to, as BAs, we, we always try and we're so focused in our own space that we forget we have other BAs that we can leverage from. Uh, especially if we're in a dispersed environment um, like I currently am, um, you tend to forget about that. Yeah, no, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, um, you get to grow together. And um, are, are you sort of in, in this centre of excellence? Are you sort of dealing with uh, the kind of issues that people are facing internally? Or do you have more of a like, how can we grow sort of future of BA kind of mindset for it? I think it's a little bit of both. I think uh, internally we have our own issues and then uh, we are looking at like a mentorship program to see how we can grow and groom the current BAs for the future. How can we as BAs together be prepared for the future of BA? Yeah, and you mentioned dispersed there. Um... I, I, are, you, are you just locally dispersed or are you internationally dispersed? No, locally. No. Uh, we have a couple of offices, but even like, you know the thing about silos, right? <laughs> we yes. all know the silos. And it's so easy to fall into those silos. And we are trying to break that uh, with this uh, community of practice to, see, to say like, we all face the same issues. Okay. You might be the only BA in your little silo, mm. but there's many silos. And if we break down those barriers, we have a community that can stand together and that you can leverage from and learn from and have a go-to person that can check you and where you can, you know, it's it's just that, that whole thing about a community. It's like they say with when you raise a kid, yeah, it takes a village. This is the same. It takes a village. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, 
It takes a village to raise a BA. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> it does. Um, and, um, I mean, you talk about silos, you talk about obviously being split in whatever product silos or, you know, however, however it's done. But, of course, with remote work as well, those silos have the mini silos, so it sort of snowballs the problem. It does. Unfortunately, it does. And I think it's up to us as business analysts to, again, overcome that problem. Uh, we have to make use of the tools that we have. Uh, again, collaboration comes up. I think we really need to... Uh, I think that is also a little bit of our leadership skills that need to come up in with a collaboration, you know, to break those silos down and to make people feel comfortable collaborating on a platform where you can't see each other uh, face to face um so it's definitely it's a skill yeah and, and leadership and i think you've done a great job by being a leader and getting a few people and building this momentum and momentum <laughs> the momentum <laughs> um but uh, yeah, no, I think I think that's um, wonderful. And communication and collaboration, those two C's, they just come up time and time again. And um, you know, making stakeholders feel seen and heard in a world where we're not seen or heard quite as often. Um, do you think remote's going to stay? Do you think sort of how it is now is sort of how it's going to continue? Unfortunately, yes, I don't foresee a big change. I think this is this is going to be the way the future is going to be. I think I don't think we're ever going to be or get back into a space where we're going to be at the office in, on a permanent basis. Um, I think this is our new normal that word has been used so many times. Um, but unfortunately, it is what it is, and uh, it is up to us to adapt again and make sure that we get the best out of the situation. Um, still get people to collaborate, to still feel comfortable. You know, it's a different ball game when you have a face-to-face -face meeting and when you have an online meeting where people, they don't have their cameras on, they don't respond. And it takes a whole different skill. It's not like you can, I say pick up a stapler and throw someone, <laughs> throw it at someone <laughs> that don't listen to you. So um, it is different because you have to interact with them differently. You have yeah. to engage differently. Yeah, and 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 it is. Um, I do a lot of online training, and I'll have a class with twelve people in it, and there'll be twelve cameras off, and I'm doing this for eight hours a day, three days in a row, and it it's almost like being blind right i imagine in a way and so you then focus on the other skills that you do have the ones that are, are left and i find that you know those other things i wouldn't have had to have get, gotten as good at them if i'd mm -hmm. seen people because i can't see people then it's just meant that i've had to do other things and get better at those other things to get engagement um and it's hard but it's adapting, as you say. So if, if, if you look back from this sort of pre-COVID world to this word now, which we're going to assume is going to go on, what, what skills of yours do you think have really sort of had the muscles work over the last while? Oh, gosh. So I think just the ability to 
because like you say the cameras are off you have to your other senses have to basically kick in because you need to make sure still that the people you are speaking to are actually understanding what you are saying so it is questioning people without feeling that they have been put on the spot um so it's definitely uh a whole i haven't even actually thought about the different skills that i use because you kind of try and test and see what works and the difficult thing about it is not every meeting you have the same type of uh, stakeholders so it's a getting to know your stakeholders at a completely different level than you used to because face to face you could see if someone is not interested in what you're saying or you could you know there was tell yeah. tell telltale signs to say okay this person you've either lost him he doesn't get what you're saying or he's not interested he doesn't agree but now you're just looking at a, a blank screen and you're like hello can you hear me <laughs> am i still on mute you know <laughs> like have i lost you yeah. so um it does it does definitely test you on a different level yeah yeah it, it, it does and i imagine you know uh, well, I like to think when when you are then in that sort of um, face to face environment again, you've you've actually got more superpowers now because if you were quite left biased to begin with, <laughs> now you've strengthened you know the right hand side too. No, definitely. I think as difficult as it is, it's definitely a growth like a different type of growth that you we can use it it makes us even better in person then uh where we would pick up things that we would not normally pick up pre-covid so yeah. it's you know that extra senses that you just make stronger so yeah, yeah. it's good and it's bad it's good and it's bad but um maybe let's stick with this theme what would a day in the life look like for a ba I don't know, three, five, ten years. You pick your time frame. So I don't think it will differ all that much from how we are doing it today. I think there might be like a difference here and there in terms of how we do the things we do. Uh, but I think we we will still have what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, but our decision-making would be more on... Um, data that already exists so data analysis where we used to do all of that manually we would now just consult either a data analyst or uh, data sets already depending on obviously your situation uh, virtual collaboration it's going to be there it's going to stay there we're just going to get better at it um, agile ceremonies i think that's also here to stay i think uh, we will Agile will be with us for a long time, so I think it will evolve. Um, I don't think I don't see us moving away from this very quickly. Um, I think a big focus of our day-to-day -day activities will also be on like, digital transformation, um, continuous learning. I think we all need to make a real effort to stay uh, up to date with the industry trends and emerging technologies um yeah i think other than that it's pretty much the same i i would hope and i would like to see documentation a little bit uh i know with agile a lot of people just let 
all documentation go yeah. and to me that is it's actually a little bit heartbreaking because i do believe that there is a place for documentation uh, i wrote an article uh, in the ba digest i think it was for quarter two where i also touched on the subject i said uh, not writing your documentation is like going and buying a recipe and only receiving the cake it's 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 a bit like they pay you for something and you just give them the cake it's all nice and pretty but they yeah. can never go and build or make that cake again because there's no recipe um so i'm definitely not waterfall i don't think there's a need for that but uh even with a collaboration we still need that documentation that underpins what we do yeah I like your analogy. Yeah, just just get the cake. I just want to get the cake and eat it. I think that's the phrase, isn't it? You know. But um, I mean, some of the a couple of other ideas that have come up in previous um, episodes on, on the pod is obviously around um, there being a sort of organisational knowledge repository. You know, the mm. DNA of the organisation, like the flows, the rules, the structures, like its entire architecture, and um, if AI or whatever else, machine learning, all of the augmented reality, all of the other stuff that hasn't even been invented yet. But that stuff's going to need a base. And as you say, if we're not documenting, there's no base. Base, exactly. Um, I think there's a lot of IP that goes missing uh, when we don't document things. And it's important things that we lose by not... And, like I say, we don't have to have a 50-pager document, but even just knowledge sharing between BAs, again, breaking those silos, that dependency that you have uh, by just having a set of documentation, it helps so much. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think I think it's critical. Um, I also agree with you, the right tool for the right job. I think sometimes there is a place for a more waterfall approach. I think there are projects that that suits, and I think there are projects that, that Agile suits um, as well. You, you, I mean, you mentioned a few things in there, but one of them was um, continuous learning. And how do you blend that in? Personally, I, I, I'm finding myself busier than ever and almost the opportunity, I, I suppose I learn as a big part of how I do things. So it's sort of like integrated in my day, but like finding time, a block to learn is tricky. So how do you, how do you fit learning into, into your life? So yeah, time is always a scarcity if you're a BA, but I also try and fit it into my day uh, as part of projects. So when I need to upskill myself on something for a specific project, I kind of build that into my day while I'm doing research on something. You know, you have to make it part of your day. Otherwise, if you're going to say, I'm going to put two hours aside to do learning a week, I can promise you as a BA, you're never going to get to it. <laughs> um, it's just impossible. Um, so yeah, I do try... I do join webinars every now and then um, if the time allows, uh, read articles. I do a lot of research uh, when I do my blogging. Uh, so that also it's like kind of organically part of my learning while I'm writing the, the blog. So 
you have to find a way that fits into your lifestyle, I guess. Yeah, no, you do. Um, I just want to say thank you to you for building in this time in your day to, to talk with us on the pod. It's been wonderful. Um, lots to think about as always and I'm sure some people will listen and get their moment of continuous learning so thank you very much Riata. Ah, thank you Joe I really appreciate the time and the opportunity. Okay I'll see you in a BA summit at the end of October. That's right yes we'll see you there.